God has great things in store for you and I. And he has a great word for us as well. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. I mean, on that living today, in this day and age, it can be very difficult to see things clearly. Why? Because the, the enemy will use situations like we face today in our lives to distract us from all the great things that God is doing at this current time. God hasn't stopped doing great things. Just because we are in what we are in right now and we are facing what we are facing, it doesn't mean that God is no longer good. God is always good. He's always working on our behalf. Just like the song says that we sang this morning, even when I don't see it, you're working. Isn't that right? Do you believe that? Do you believe the words of the song that you just sang five minutes ago? Even when I don't see you, you're working. Even when I don't hear it, you're working. And it says you never stop working. And that's who God is. And he wants to remind us that each and every day. But the enemy seeks to distract our minds from the knowledge of the power of God. Why? Because the enemy knows the power of God. The enemy may know the power of God better than you and I know it. And so he seeks to distract us, to get our minds off of what God has done in your life, to get your mind off of what God has promised you and I. I mean, know that distraction is the enemy of direction. If you have a goal and you have a target, the enemy of you reaching that goal or that target is going to be distractions. And we face these each and every day of our lives. I remember coming up to a DUI checkpoint and um, don't worry, you know, they didn't, yeah, this isn't about me. <laughs> and um, I remember coming up to a, to a checkpoint and, you know, every, you know, it, it was nighttime. And so, you know, you had all these, all these police lights, you know, you know, you know, they were just, they were just blaring because, you know, it was nighttime and they're so bright. And so cars are stopping, obviously. But one car didn't see because he was, I, maybe he or she was so focused on the police lights that he or she didn't see the car that was stopped in front of him and he rear-ended him right at a checkpoint. <laughs> wow. I wonder how that went. But I think of, man, distractions. How many times do we get distracted in life? How many of you set out to do something, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a chore at your house, and then all of a sudden you got distracted, and you never accomplished what you set out to accomplish, so much so that you even forgot what you were going to do in the first place? Is anyone like me? <laughs> what was I, what did I plan to do? What was it that I took time off of work to even do? Because of distractions, we get sidetracked. 
See, Joshua met this distraction in the Bible when he faced the wall of Jericho. You see, they were heading, they were headed to the promised land. They were headed to the land of milk and honey, as the Bible says. Although that, that may not sound too good to you right now, milk and honey. <laughs> that was the promised land for them. I'm sure you could think of two other items that would, that would sound a lot more better than milk and honey. How about Oreos and milk? Hallelujah. Man. <laughs> Let's start walking. But this happens many times in our lives. You know, we try to do better. We try to make better choices for our lives. And how many know that we get, we get distracted along the way? You know, well, so-and-so is having this party you know, and, and, and you made a decision to stop doing such and such. And you know that so-and-so is throwing a, a, an awesome party as they always do. And you say, well, God, you know, I'm going to go. Just, just help me. Just help me not to, not to do those, those things that I used to do before. Well, how about just not going at all? How about just not putting yourself in that situation for you to be tempted in? See, because God gives you a way out. He gives each and every one of us a way out. But many times we go with that mentality of let me just do this and then, and then, and then you know, I'll pray that God helps me through it when God has given you the option of not going whatsoever. Of not putting yourself in that predicament at all. See, Joshua knew where God was directing him, so he had to see past this giant of a distraction. In Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1, the Bible says this. It says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. And he said this. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. He says, and I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north. From the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. He says, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. And I will not fail you or abandon you. You see, not only did God instruct Joshua, but he also attached a promise to it. This is what God does. That promise is a blessing, right? If you do this, you will receive this. And he tells Joshua, he says, wherever you step, it will be yours. He says, you will not be defeated. He says, for I am with you. And that was the promise that God gave to Joshua 
you know, I can, I can picture Joshua walking around and, and, and knowing that, you know, as God says, everywhere his feet touch would be his, would be their land. Can you imagine? Can you imagine as he walked so, so um, confident in the Lord that wherever his feet took him, it's going to be his land. See, but in all the excitement of knowing that God was with him as he was with Moses, he encountered the wall of Jericho. And I have a, a picture of, a, may, may, uh, uh, of what Jericho, Jericho's walls may have looked like back in the day. And I'll go over some, some dimensions for you. See, these walls were about 12 feet high and about six feet in thickness. And, the, and in the wall, as you see, were those stone towers that were in you know, certain parts of the wall there. And those stone towers would stand about 30 feet high and about 30 feet wide. This was a giant wall. This wasn't no chain link fence that you would see at someone's, you know, on someone's house. This isn't one of, those, one of those vinyl fencing that you could just easily push down. This was stone. The walls being six feet in depth. These are thick stone walls. When you think about it, that's quite a roadblock as the Israelites are heading to the promised land and they have to face the wall of Jericho and they see that in front of them. Can you imagine what they were thinking? I'm sure not everyone was very excited about what was in front of them. I'm sure many individuals forgot all about what God had brought them through to get them to this point that they find themselves in at that day. Many forgot, I'm sure. I'm sure as they looked at it, they thought, you know what, <laughs> let's just go back. I mean, because who are we talking about here? These are the, are the Israelites who were known to be whiners. Weren't they? So many times in the Bible, the Bible talks about the complaining of the Israelites. Even after God gave them victory in battle, they would complain. Even after God brought them out of Egypt as slaves, they would complain. Even after God would drop down manna from heaven. Manna from heaven. You know, what if God dropped, you know, burritos from heaven for you? How many of you would complain? Oh, this is too much food, God. <laughs> I can't eat all this. Can you imagine? But that was what they were known to do. And so I could imagine them seeing this wall, and I can imagine them complaining. But God gave Joshua a word. God gave Joshua a promise. And that promise was, Joshua... It doesn't matter what you face. I'm going to be with you as I was with Moses. It doesn't matter the opposition. It doesn't matter the enemy. 
because I am greater. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you face an army of one million. He says, my army is greater, Joshua. I will make you able to do what I have called you to do. And you will see that promised land. But what Joshua had to do, number one, was he had to see God's presence. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you need to see God's presence. See, God's presence makes all the difference. The most significant place in all Israel was the temple. The most significant place in the temple was the Holy of Holies. And what made that so significant was God's presence. That's what it was. What made it so holy was the presence of God. See, because his presence makes all the difference. And although we may not be able to see God physically, his Holy Spirit lives within us. His presence lives within you and I. We just, we just had a whole month talking about the Holy Spirit. And we read this verse in John 14, 26. It says, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, Jesus says, that is the Holy Spirit. He will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I have told you. He says, I am leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give. You need to remember that. The peace that you may be looking for right now in your life, the world cannot give it to you. God's word says it right here. Stop searching for it in, in, in things. Stop searching for it in people. Stop searching for it in careers. Stop searching for it in finances. Stop it. Stop right now. Because it's only found in God. He says, so don't be troubled or afraid. And this is what God has so graciously given us. The Holy Spirit to guide us, to, to comfort us. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. And he says, we are a chosen people. How many believe that? Amen? You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. That you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, here's the thing about God knowing all things is that God knows the future as well. He knows what's going to happen. He knows all things. He knows who's going to choose him. He knows who's going to serve him. So God already knows all these things, but it doesn't take away the fact that you still have a choice. Just because God knows what's going to happen, it doesn't take away your free will. Do you understand that? And this is what many people try to, try to, to come against. Well, God already knows what's going to happen, so why should I even do this? Because he already has control of everything. Yeah, God controls everything, but you still have a choice to say yes or no to him. 
God still has a plan, yes, and his plan is going to come to pass. But you as a people have a choice. You as an individual have a choice. Am I going to serve him or am I going to be his enemy? Notice Peter says that we belong to God. If, if we belong to God, will he not be present among us? If you and I are children of God, isn't his presence going to be with his children? Isn't it? See, while we never lose the reality of God's presence, we might lose the sense of his presence. We might come to a place in our lives where we say, God, where are you? God, are you working in this situation in my life? Because it doesn't feel like it. Many times we, we say these things and we may even feel these things but you have to understand in your heart of hearts that God has not left you. He has not forsaken you. He has never forsaken you, and he never will. And I'm careful to use, you know, absolutes in sentences, but that's one that I could use it in. God will never forsake you. Never. That's an absolute. You know, like you say, always, you always do this, but that's not, that's not true, right? When you tell someone that, you know, you always do this, that's a lie. Just tell them you're lying. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Those are absolutes. But when I say God will always love you, it's true. He will always love you. When you say in your own life, uh, I, will, I, will, I will always fail, that's not true. That's not true. There's times that you will stumble. But by the grace of God, he gives us more opportunities to make better choices, amen? So be careful the words that you use uh, to yourselves uh, and to others. Also, Joshua had to perceive God's power. We need to perceive God's power. See, limited thinking will cause us to limit what we can become or accomplish. It's like that stronghold in your mind that keeps you keeps you from from moving forward see god is not limited to our way of thinking oh thank you jesus thank you father that your ways are not our ways can you imagine can you imagine if his ways were like our ways how many times we would be let down all the time Because it's not good enough. But God says, 
That my ways are not your ways, and my thinking is not your thinking. And the way I see things is not going to be the same way you see things. Check this out in Joshua chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Road. Acacia Grove, I'm sorry. It says, He instructed them, Scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Now, I don't know if you're like me and you would question that verse of why those two men stood at the house of a prostitute. <laughs> Did anyone think that? Why would they stay there? See, I believe that God knew the heart of Rahab. I believe, I believe that God knew that, that despite her past, that he could still use her in his great plan. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because God is telling you and I, it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the bad choices that you may have made. God can still use you. God can still use you, amen, to, to bring down those walls in the working of his great plan. That's awesome. And in verse 8, it says this. It says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. She said this. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land. Wow. She said, we are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard, check this out, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og and two Amorite kings, the, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Rahab, Rahab, perceived the mighty power of God. The people in the town of Jericho perceived the mighty power of God. See, what the Israelites didn't know when they walked up to this giant wall of Jericho that surrounded the town, what they didn't know was that the people that were inside were afraid of them. Wow. Did you grasp that? When many of them came to this wall and may have thought in their minds, there's no way we can get past this. And when a lot of them allowed fear to grip their hearts, Little did they know 
that fear was gripping the hearts of those inside. See, the God of heaven is all-powerful. In 2 Chronicles 14, there was a king named Asa. This king had an army of 500,000. And he was about to go against an army of one million. They were outnumbered two to one. But we read here in 2 Chronicles 14, verse 11, it says this, it says, Then, then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you alone. He says, it is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. See, what happened here? King Asa perceived the mighty power of God. He had to take his eyes off of the number of the enemy and to put his eyes on the promise of God, to have his mind set on what God told him that he was going to do in his life of what he has seen take place in others' lives. You see, God demonstrates his, his power not through the arrogant, not through the prideful, but through the humble. Each time in Scripture, God uses the humble. God uses the surrendered heart. He doesn't, he doesn't use the individual who says, I got it all together. Why? Because they won't be reliant upon God. They're going to be reliant upon their own strength. And as we've read in the Bible, that always comes to a, a crashing destruction. But he uses those who, who submit to his power and say, God, without you, I am helpless. I am powerless. And so I call upon your name today. I need your help in this situation in my life. And I seek you. And then we see God move, and we see God do supernatural things in our lives. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul says these words, and he says, each time God told me, he says that my grace is all you need, Paul. My power works best in weakness. It's so opposite of what the world says, right? It's so opposite of what you grew up Maybe, maybe uh, uh, being told from friends or, or, or uh, such. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad, Paul says, I am glad to boast about my weaknesses. He says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. Man. God, help us. Help us to have that mindset. Each and every day, Lord. Tomorrow, when we wake up, 
Help us to have that mindset that, is it, that it is in our weakness that we are made strong through Him. It is in those times that we, that we feel that we can't go any further that God says, here we go. Here we go. You're going to see. You're going to see that it wasn't you, that it was me. Because it's in those times of helplessness that when God helps us through, we give him the glory, don't we? We see that it was him. I don't know how this happened. Can, can, can any of you think of situations like that in your life where, you, where your response was, I don't know how it happened. I don't know how I got through it. How about that? I don't know how this changed in my life. I don't know how I was able to overcome this or that. I don't know how I did it. All I can say is, thank you, Father. Because I, I was being helped. I was being helped along the way. See, his power works best in those who recognize their limitations. And it is those who think that they can do it all on their own who are in the gravest danger. Lastly here, we need to focus on God's plan in spite of the obstacles. Focus on God's plan in spite of the obstacles. We need a clear perspective. God wants to clear our vision. But we need to focus on Jesus and not on our circumstances. How many know that's true? Don't focus on your circumstances. Because when you, when you do that, amen, you, you may feel defeated. You're going to defeat yourself. But instead, focus on the one who makes a way where there is no way. And this is where many people's visions become cloudy. That's why in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, let us keep our eyes fixed. Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep our eyes on our Savior, the one who died on the cross for you and I, the one who, who rose from the dead, rose himself from the dead, the power of God. You need to keep your eyes on him. In dog obedience training, uh, they put a, a dog at one end of the room, and they put the master at the other end of the room. And in the middle, they put a bowl of food. Now, what they do next is they have the, they have the owner call the dog over. But if that dog eyes that bowl of food, he's going to go straight to the food. 
But in the training, what they teach that dog to do is they teach that dog to keep, to keep their eyes on its master. And as its master calls, that dog has to keep their attention on its master. And then and only then will that dog bypass the food and come to its master. And that's like us in our lives, isn't it? God is calling us. He's calling you to whatever it is that he's calling you to do. You know it. You know what it is. I know what God has called me to do. But I may not know what God has called you to do, but you do. But God is calling you. He calls his children. I mean, no, that's true. And he is calling you, but many times in lives we get distracted. Many times it's that, it's that, it's that bowl of whatever it is that we tend to keep our eyes on. And we go right to it every single time. We go right to it. And God is calling us to so, to so much greater than that which was in the middle. But if we would only keep our eyes fixed on our master, then and only then can we receive the reward. God has a reward for you and I. Great is his reward for us. But we need to keep our eyes on him. Colossians 3.2 says to set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Many times this is where we fail. We set our minds on things of the world. We set our mind on things that we see taking place in front of us. And we get, we become uh, disappointed. We feel, we become uh, uh, hopeless. God is calling us to set our minds on things above. Maybe you find yourself at a point in your life right now where you've, where you've lost hope. And you think, man, this situation in my life is never going to change. My marriage is never going to get better. My kids are never going to come back to the Lord. Or maybe it's, I'm, I'm never going to get married. Whatever it is in your life, I'm never going to make better choices. I'm always going to make the same mistakes. You see, God wants to turn your thoughts to him. Turn your thoughts to him. And instead of, instead of using those, 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 uh, th th those words of, of never uh, when it comes to, when it comes to doing, doing good things for God, and when it comes to God using your life, say, you know what? There's no way that God cannot use me. If I just say yes to him, he can use me. As he used so-and-so in the Bible. As he used so-and-so sitting next to me this morning. 
If he could, if he could change their lives, amen, he can use me too. We need to turn our thoughts to the Lord and focus on him. You see, our lives are meaningful and significant because God is writing each of our stories purposefully. But we need to be persistent. Joshua 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or in. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its kings, and all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. When you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. You see, to endure the unendurable, you must see the invisible. They had to see past those walls and, and see victory. You see, our, our vision doesn't, does not only involve seeing, but it has to be conceived. Without being conceived, vision is only imagination. So many times people go through life without vision, without a purpose. And Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And in a different translation, it says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they run wild. Isn't that true? There's no order. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, as the worship team comes forward this morning. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Wow. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can even imagine what God has in store for you and I. You know, it's nice to think about, you know, what, what this is going to be like or what that's going to be like. That's nice. But what's even better is to start seeking God. What's even better is to start being obedient to God right now so that you don't have to wonder what certain things are like. You're going to get to experience it. You're going to get to see with your own eyes what God has in store for you. Stop thinking about how it's gonna happen and just start walking in it. Stop thinking about who God is gonna use to help you and start focusing on him who is helping you right now. God is going to give us clear vision. He's going to give us insight. And he says his ways are not our ways. In Genesis 17, 
Abraham had a vision to be the father of a child. He longed to have a child. See, but little did he know that God's vision for him was to not only be the father of a child, but to be the father of many generations. And this is what I'm talking about when it comes to God, is that we have such limited thinking at times. And we say, God, all I need is this. All I need is this. And God says, oh man, you have no clue. See, because I'm going to give you this, but I'm going to give you way more. I'm going to give you way more than what you've asked. You have no idea. You, you sought out to be a father? No, no, no. I'm going to make you a father of many generations. It's going to continue and to continue, and it's going to get better and better, and they're going to do greater things. Every generation would do greater and greater things for me. See, you may have this plan, God says, but I have an even greater plan. But it's going to take us, you and I, allowing God to clear our vision. Lord, clear it. Lord, clear it from all these distractions. Lord, clear it from all these roadblocks. Lord, clear it from all these strongholds, Lord. Break them right now in the name of Jesus in my life. Because I want to see things clearly. And I want to see past those walls of Jericho in my life. Lord, help me to focus on you. As every head is bowed, every eye closed.